I heard a very interesting story a, a few weeks ago. It was about a young man, a teenager, who was in a terrible car accident. And he lost his left arm in the accident. And obviously he struggled with that greatly as the weeks went on. And so his parents signed him up for a uh, judo class, trying to bring him encouragement and confidence. And they found this one guy uh, to, to be his, his, sense, his sensei, his judo master, uh, who really didn't take on any students. Uh, because at this point, this, this one guy they found had been teaching uh, judo uh, for 50 or 60 years. He was well advanced in his life experience. <laughs> but he heard the story and he said, absolutely, I will, I will teach your, your child. And so he started going, this young man, the boy, to judo class. And it was a one-on-one -on -one class. And so this uh, older sensei, this older master was teaching the boy judo. And uh, the boy obviously lacked self-confidence walking in. What can I learn with only one arm? And the master started teaching him a few things uh, uh, to, to, to learn the ropes. And then he, he just was started training him on one move, one throw. And they did this for several months. And at the end of three months, the boy gummed up enough courage to ask the master, shouldn't I be learning more than one move? <laughs> shouldn't I be learning more than one thing here? And uh, the master told him, no, this is the only move you are ever going to need. And so the boy made a decision to have faith in his master. He continued to train on that one move for months. Well, at the end of another three months, he's been doing this for now about six months, the master signed him up for a tournament. It was a national tournament. And they drive to the tournament to go compete. They're getting looks as they walk in. The master, who uh, is uh, uh, in his upper 80s, low 90s, and this young man who's a teenager that only has one arm. And the first two matches, the boy wins easily. Using his one move, he wins with uh, great ease. And he's, you know, shocked and surprised that he was able to accomplish this. And well, he gets into his third match, and the third match was a little bit more difficult. Um, this third boy that he was up against uh, was, was uh, quite a bit more skilled uh, at judo. And uh, he felt that it was a little too much for him, but he was able to hold his own for a little bit to the point that his opponent got frustrated and irritated and charged at him, and the boy used his one move and threw him and pinned him. And won that one. He was so excited now because now he's in the finals. The national tournament final. He's in it. And he's excited. And uh, he, he's still a little confused about how he was able to accomplish this. But it doesn't matter. He's in the finals. Well, he, he goes onto the mat to, 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 to begin the last match. And the boy, his opponent, comes onto the mat. And it's very obvious that this boy is much older, bigger, stronger and far more experienced. This boy's been learning judo since he was a small child. Well, the match starts, and the boy who had had the accident, it was obvious that he was outmatched. And it was um, brutal to watch for a little while. The referee himself was getting nervous. He was about to call the match and say, I just cannot be a part of what's happening here. And the sensei, the, the old master, said, no, let him keep going. Well, the match continued. And the bigger, stronger opponent let his guard down for a second. And uh, the boy 
did his move, grabbed the guy, did his move, threw him and pinned him and won the match. He was the tournament champion, the national champion. Place went crazy. He was super excited. Parents in the, in the audience, super excited. Well, they get in the car, carrying the trophy, go home. Our parents are driving, and the, the, the master and the boy are sitting in the back seat, and they, they're trying to process each and every match he fought and each and every move that they uh, encountered in the match. And as they're going through it, they get to the last one, and, and they walk through what the, the opponent did and how he was able to uh, be defeated. And the boy finally said, honestly, I don't understand how I was able to win. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Why did I win? And the master looked at the boy and he said, without hesitation, you won for two reasons. Number one, you have spent months now mastering one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. Number two, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. Sometimes we may not understand why the master has us doing something that we're doing. And we have to come to the question of whether we trust our master or not. Whether we trust that he knows what he's doing or not. And I guarantee you, 10 out of 10 times, he knows exactly what he's doing. Today we're going to look at this in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been going through Hebrews 11. This is a, a look at, at some people in Scripture, in history, who have had moments of great faith. They were extremely flawed people. But at certain points in their life, certain individual moments or seasons, they had great faith. We can relate to that, yes? Being someone who is very flawed, but still having the opportunity to demonstrate great faith. Well, here we come uh, to verse 30. Let's take a look at this. Uh, this is on page 1008, if you're using a Bible in the pew rack and you're searching around for Hebrews. Well, it's on page 1008. You can find it there. Uh, well, and on that front, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, or maybe you have one that you're, you don't understand all that well, it's written in a way that you don't understand, take that Bible home. Take it home. We've got other ones. We've got a closet with some in the, over here. We can replace that one. Everybody needs a Bible they can understand. Take that one home. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So we've got the situation with Jericho. You've got the Israelites who have walked around the city of Jericho and seen the walls fall down. The Israelites were obedient because of faith. And if you look at that verse 31, something very interesting we're going to dive into in a little bit. Rahab was friendly by faith. Did you catch that? that her faith was demonstrated because she was friendly. That's going to be a... <laughs> I almost want to dive into that now because that was so much fun. But uh, they both demonstrated great faith. They were obedient to a command. The Israelites, obedient to walk around the city, and they saw victory. The command to walk around the city rather than fight, it wasn't logical, it wasn't prudent, it wasn't experientially wise, but they obeyed. 
Rahab was friendly by faith. Two spies who had come into the land who were her national enemies. They came in and she was friendly to them. And that was not logical or prudent or experientially wise, but she did it anyway because of her faith in the Lord. No outside observer would look at what the Israelites did and walking around the city would look at what Rahab did in, in being friendly to these spies. No outside observer would look at that and say, this was what you were supposed to do. This makes the most sense. But the Israelites and Rahab did it anyway because of their faith. Because the Lord told them to. God actually says in Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Sometimes we try to make sense of what God in his infinite wisdom is doing when us in our not infinite understanding can never grasp. And God straight says it in the scripture, we don't think the same way, you and me. We don't think the same way. You think in one way, and I know how you think because I made you. I think in a completely different way. And your brain, humanity, cannot does not have the computing power to process what I'm doing. So just trust me. So he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And so he tells the Israelites, we're going to look at that first in verse 30. He tells the Israelites, walk around the city of Jericho. Well, let's flip back and take a look at that. Uh, Joshua chapter 6. We're actually going to back up a little bit and be in chapter 5 for a second. Joshua chapter 5. Uh, again, it's on page 181, if you're using a pew Bible there. Uh, Joshua chapter 5. Now, just a little back story. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They'd been slaves for several hundred years. God did some miracles, plagues on Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites escaped. Red Sea came back and destroyed the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world at the time. And the Israelites then, uh, they send some spies into what God said would be your homeland. God promised them, this is where you're going, this is going to be your homeland. And so they sent out some spies to walk around it and see how good it was and how they'd be able to accomplish it. They sent 12 spies. Ten of the spies come back and say, yeah, these people are huge, there's no way we can take this land. The other two guys said, absolutely we can take it, God said it. And the Israelites, the nation, listened to the ten guys rather than the two guys. And then God showed up and said, okay, everybody who thought I couldn't do this, you're going to die before everybody else walks in the promised land. God said, God didn't strike them dead there in the moment. He said, I'm going to let you die of natural causes, but the rest of you, you're just going to walk around until everybody dies who doubted I could do what I said I could do. That's why the Israelites went in the wilderness, because they doubted God was capable enough to do it. And so they walked around, ended up being for 40 years, until everybody who doubted God's ability had died off. And then when that happened, including Moses, Joshua was the new leader, they are getting ready to go into this new promised land for the very first time. And the first city they come to in this new promised land is Jericho. I know you've heard that name. Even people who don't read the Bible know that name. Because of the great song, right? Joshua fit the battle of. There you go. You need to look up Willa Dorsey singing that song. It'll blow your socks off. But they're lined up getting ready to go attack Jericho. And now Joshua, who's the leader now, Moses is gone. Joshua's the guy. They're getting ready to go in. And Joshua has fought some battles before. He's, he, he's carried the sword. He's led them into battle before. And so now he's got to come up with a game plan 
of how to defeat Jericho. And Jericho is famous for one thing, its massive wall, huge thickness of a wall. It was so thick, they built houses into it, whole houses that made up the thickness of the wall. And the only weak point in the wall was the gate, the entrance. And if I'm the guy in charge, I'm thinking, okay, we've got to attack the weakness. We've got to get in there. But there's guys on top of the wall with bows and arrows. They're going to shoot us. So we've got to figure out some way to protect us and get in close enough and attack the, attack the gate. But Joshua has gone off by himself now to strategize how to attack the impenetrable Jericho. That's where we find him here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now Joshua recognized there's something different about this guy. And we're going to find out in just a second why. But he says, this is not an Israelite you know, commander. This is not a guy from Jericho. There's something very, very different about him. And so he says, Are you for us or are you for them? And the man says, verse 14, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, preparing his battle plan, is met by the leader of the Lord's army. Sword out, sword drawn. Joshua says, who are you? Are you for us or for them? He says, no, not for either one of you. I'm for God. And he says, now take your feet off. Take, take your feet off. <laughs> that's, that's a different story altogether. He says, take your shoes off for the land where you are standing is holy. Because what's about to happen at the beginning of chapter six, God shows up and speaks to Joshua. That's why it's holy. Because God's about to arrive and speak to Joshua. And God shows up and speaks to Joshua and tells him, you're trying to come up with a battle plan. Well, here's your battle plan. No battle. Tomorrow, when you go out to the battlefield, you don't even take your sword. You can, but you're not going to need it tomorrow. I want you to line everybody up. This is what the Lord's telling Joshua. Line up the whole army in marching formation. Then behind them, get the guys who blow the trumpets and have them blow trumpets. Behind the trumpet guys... Get the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence. Behind the Ark of the Covenant, bring up a rear guard. And everybody's supposed to be silent. No talking whatsoever, except the trumpets. That's the only noise you're supposed to make. And I want you to march all the way around the city, and then go home and take a nap. And God tells this to Joshua, and Joshua's contemplating this. Thinking, okay, you want to, then we'll attack day two. We're just intimidating. I mean, this is like, you know, this is uh, a smack talk. We're just getting ready. And, and God says, no, day two, same thing. No talking, trumpets blown, army, trumpet guys, Ark of the Covenant, rear guard, march around the city one time, go home and take a nap. And he says, I want you to do that for six days. Okay, six days. Day seven's the Sabbath. We're supposed to rest, right? And God says, no, day seven, you get up and you walk around it seven times. Okay, we watch, mark around it seven times on day seven. We're going to get extra early that day because that's an extra, you know, trip around the thing and he says and at the end of your seventh trip around everybody scream as loud as you can scream and God said then I'm going to knock down the walls you don't need to build siege ramps you don't need to build uh, catapults you don't need to build anything that can help tear down the walls because you can't do it 
Joshua. You can't. You don't have the technology. You guys have been walking around for 40 years. You can't do it, but I can. You walk around it for seven times, and I will knock the walls down myself. And then you go in the city, and you win the battle. That's all you got to do. And so Joshua goes, and he gets his men together. The whole army, they line up, the army, trumpet guys, Ark of the Covenant, rear guard, and they march all the way around the city, and they go back. Now, what's interesting is reading chapter 6, we never see Joshua tell the army what the game plan is. He may have, it just may not just say it, but the way it's written is the Lord tells Joshua the plan, and Joshua just tells the guys what the game plan is for the next day. Would you get a little confused? (laughs) You're ready to fight a battle to take over an entire region of the world, and at your first city you come to, you've been gearing up now for 40, you've been training for 40 years for this moment, and and the leader comes in and says, yeah, we're not going to fight, we're just going to walk. Okay, well, we didn't do walk training, okay? (laughs) Like, we were were ready to fight this deal. He says, yeah, we're going to walk. Okay, we'll fight tomorrow. We'll wake up, get a hearty breakfast, go out, and no, you're going to walk again. You think on day three, day four, there might be a little behind-the-scenes grumbling, a little bit going on here? Like, Joshua has lost his mind. We thought Moses was crazy, and now we got this guy, and we're just walking. And they go around, they go around seven times, and on day seven, they walk around the city seven times, and Joshua yells at everybody, shout! Look at verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, this this is where my mind goes. I've always wondered about, you know, you had the army and then the trumpet guys right behind the army. How would you like to be the army guys who were at the back of the line right in front of the trumpet guys? Like the only noise anybody's making, the blowing of the trumpets, and they're right behind your back. But anyway, they march around the city. Joshua yells, shout. Everybody screams at the top of their lungs. Verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So Hebrews 11.30 tells us they did this by faith, walking around the city. They trusted that God knew what he was talking about. That's what faith means, to trust God. And so they trusted that God knew what he was doing in walking around the city and doing this thing that made absolutely no sense. The faith they were having and what God was having them to do for the battle made no sense whatsoever. No military strategist would look at this and say, okay, just walk around the city. That's why Joshua was trying to come up with a game plan, and God said, throw your game plan out the window. Do what I'm telling you to do. And so that's what really faith is. Faith is following the Lord's influence. Faith is following the Lord's influence. You see, when you're trying to do something, everybody's going to have an opinion about that thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. When you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to follow the, what, 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 maybe what God's got before you, or you're trying to make a big decision, everybody's got a, an opinion about your life, or what you need to do, or what you want to do. They may not say it out loud, but they're going to grumble about it after you made the decision, or they're going to post about it, or they're going to do something about it. They may come right out and say, that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But Joshua 
whether he heard from the complainers in the nation of Israel or whether he, from his own experience, would have been thinking, well, here's a better battle plan is if we did this. You know, I bought before. I kind of know what I'm doing here, God. I mean, I, you know, we won all those other battles I was in charge of. And God says, no, all those influences that you've got pouring into your brain, don't listen to it because I've given you a direction. You see, when God gives you a direction, absolutely, that doesn't mean God can't speak through other influences. He absolutely can. But when God gives you a direction, it's time to shut the influences down. It's because when God gives you a direction, all these other voices, all these other things are going to try to pull you away from where God wants you to go. Sometimes the instant God tells you, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to get a text, you're going to see a post, and it's going to try to pull you away, do the opposite of what God told you to do. Because the enemy is going to try to do everything within his power to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. And so here is Joshua on the cusp of the promised land. He's having all the pressure of, I mean, the great leader Moses leading them out of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Egypt, fulfilling prophecy, doing all these, seeing God face to face on the mountain, doing the, the Ten Commandments, the whole shebang. And then here's Joshua, his follow-up, getting to the, the, the first big act of his leadership, Jericho. All that pressure on his shoulders of those hundreds of thousands of people looking to him. What if he were to fail? What if they lose this battle? He's got to figure out a way to win. They can't lose right out of the gate. They got to win this one. And God says, all right, everything that you're thinking about how to win this battle, you need to toss it out. Because here's how you win. You just walk around the city. Everybody's going to think you're nuts. Everybody's going to think you're crazy. Because you having faith in me in this moment makes absolutely no sense to anybody. Doesn't matter. Do it anyway. And so Joshua had the strength and the fortitude to stand up and say, we're just going to walk around the city. We're just going to walk around the city. And so they walk around the city. Joshua has great faith. The Israelites have great faith. And they walk around the city and the walls fall down flat. And they see God do this phenomenal thing. After a week of not knowing what's going to happen, they see God do this incredible thing and the walls fall down. And, and they follow the Lord's influence and faith. And this thing happens. But they're not the only ones involved in faith in the moment. Because what did Hebrews 11.31 talked about Rahab? Look at that again. It's on the screen, I think. Hebrews 11. Yeah, there it is. Uh, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. That's the people of Jericho. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, Rahab was, was a citizen of Jericho. Rahab was a citizen of Jericho. And what's interesting about, there's a lot of things interesting about Rahab, but Joshua had sent these two spies into Jericho to try to scout it out. And we don't really know, obviously, much about this time, this, this, this period of history, but there was something about the spies and something about the people of Jericho that made them look different. They looked different. So that when the, the, the spies, from, they, maybe they tried to dress, uh, dress like the people of Jericho, but they still could not disguise who they were. So they walk into town, and they're recognized by the officials in Jericho. And the officials go to the king of Jericho and say, the, there's a couple of Israelite spies who just walked through the city gate. And so they put a hit out on these guys. These guys hear about it. They start banging on this door, and it's Rahab's door. And, and, and she ushers them in, and Rahab recognized them as Israelites and not 
Jerichoans? Jerichoites? People of Jericho. And she said, they're not from there. They're, from, they're Israelites. They're from over there. And she knows what's happened in the Israelites escaping from uh, Egypt. God, the way she phrases it, is God did all this stuff to get them out of Egypt. God did all this stuff to protect them from all these other people trying to attack them while they're wandering around the wilderness. She says, I have faith in your God. Not the faith of the, the, the people of Jericho. I have faith in your God. And so what that verse says is she gave a friendly welcome to these people because of her faith. She, what's phenomenal, remember, these are spies. Try to put it in our context. What if two spies from another nation start banging on your door tomorrow morning? You're going to let them in your house? You're going to call the, the FBI? I got some spies. They're wearing a shirt and say, I spy for such and such. No, you're calling somebody and saying, come and get them. Well, Rahab has faith in the God of Israel. And she says, she valued her faith catch it, over even her patriotism. She welcomes the spies into her house. She sends them up on the roof and she covers them, hides them. And the next moment, the government officials are banging on her door. Boom, 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 boom. We saw those spies come in your house. She says, you're right, they were here, but they left. You just, they went around the corner, like you passed in, you know, just in the set. You just weren't even looking. They just passed, walked right past you. And she says, so if you hurry, you can catch them. And so they go running around the corner, out the gate. Rahab's house is built into the wall of Jericho. So they go down and around, out the gate. The gates are shut. She goes up on a roof once those officials leave. And she says, okay, listen, spies. I'm sure she said their names. Those officials are looking for you. And they've shut the gate. They know your people are out there. Your army is out there. And so no one's allowed to leave or come in. She says, but what I've got is I've got a rope. And since I'm built into the wall here, I can let you down outside my window with this rope. She says, but I want you guys to know, I follow your Lord, your God. Not the God of the people of Jericho. I follow yours. Even though I'm not an Israelite, I follow him. And can you protect me when God gives you the city? She's already knowing God's going give to give them the city. She already knows it. Even though undoubtedly people of Israel may have, you know, even though they had faith, it would have been a, a, a stretch for some of them. She says, I'm going to let you down out my window with this rope. How can I know you'll protect me? She said, and they said, well, that rope you've got there is red. If you hang that red rope out your window, when God delivers this city, you will be protected. So get everybody you care about in your house so that when that happens, they will be taken care of. So she drops the rope out the window. Those guys climb down the rope, go up in the hills, hide for a couple days, go and find Joshua and say, God delivered us by way of this one woman, Rahab, because she has faith. And Joshua said, okay, we're going to protect her. So Rahab grabs her whole family, keeps them in her house. They watch out their windows. The Israelites march around for seven days. They watch. Day seven, march around seven times, shout. They hear the shout, hear the trumpets, the walls, everything around them falls down. All their neighbors' houses destroyed. You ever seen one of those pictures on the news when a tornado goes through a spot and there's only like one house sitting there and everything else is destroyed? It's kind of like that. Everything is destroyed except Rahab's house built into the wall. Israelites come charging in, destroy everything. They knock on her door, ask her to come out. She and her family come out, probably bags packed, and they live with the Israelites from there on. Israelites burn the city down and they become... Israelites. Rahab falls in love and marries a guy, an Israelite. Quite possibly, it was one of the spies. We don't really know. It may have been. There's a guy named Salmon. 
And they have a son named Boaz. Some of you may have heard of him. Boaz ends up marrying a woman who's also not an Israelite, just like his mama. He marries Ruth, who the book of Ruth is written about. He marries her. They have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, who becomes the great king of Israel. And his descendant is Jesus, all tracing back to the faith of this one woman, the faith that enabled her to be friendly. Have you ever tied friendliness to faithfulness? Maybe you've tied friendliness to I like you. <laughs> and people who are unfriendly are like, yeah, I don't like you at all. You obviously don't have Jesus. Maybe you thought that in a not holy way. But what Hebrews 11.31 does is it ties, Ru uh, not Ruth, it ties Rahab's faith to her decision to be friendly. Because really her decision, that's what faith is. Faith is a choice. She chose to have faith that day by choosing to be friendly that day. Faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. You don't have, you, even if you're not in the mood to be faithful, you still choose to be faithful. Faith is a decision that you make. In the same way you choose to be friendly or not, you choose to be faithful or not. And your faith will demonstrate itself, as with Rahab, Hebrews 11.31, in your friendliness. In your friendliness. It could have said any other way. By faith, Rahab believed. By faith, Rahab trusted. Because if you trust in the Lord, which is what faith is, the word, that's the exact same word in the Greek, faith and trust. If you trust in the Lord, you're going to have peace. If you have peace, then things aren't going to agitate you. Then things aren't going to offend you. Then you're going to, in peace, be able to be friendly to anybody and everybody. That's what Rahab demonstrated that day. Not fear that her city was about to be destroyed. Not fear that if she's found out by helping these guys, she's going to be publicly executed, probably her whole family. No, she demonstrated faith in her friendliness to these spies, trusting that God was going to take care of her that day. She trusted because she chose faith. She chose to follow the Lord's influence. And she demonstrated that in friendliness. You know, a couple chapters after Hebrews uh, chapter 11, where we are, uh, Hebrews uh, 13, take a look at that real quick. Hebrews 13, verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, the word hospitality means to receive with, with friendliness. Do not neglect to receive with friendliness, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Have you ever, maybe you or somebody you know, and you've heard the story help somebody out, and you turn for a second and turn back, and they're gone? You ever done that? Seen it? Heard it? Do not neglect to show hospitality. Do not neglect to receive with friendliness. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Friendliness needs to be a after effect of our faith. If our faith grows, so should our friendliness. You know, but the struggle becomes sometimes in our friendliness, I'll say it this way, sometimes it's easier to be friendly to somebody we don't know than it sometimes is people in our own house or people who know us the best. Sometimes they see the worst. Let me show, I, I, this, God gave me this yesterday, I was watching the great Adrian Rogers, one of the most, one of the greatest preachers 
ever on uh, YouTube. And uh, he was reading this scripture, and I was like, ah, I've never really seen that before. This is from the book of Job. Job obviously had a hard season, hard life, lost everything. Lost all his kids, lost all his money, lost everything, lost his health. And this is a famous verse. His wife comes to him in Job 2 verse 9 and says, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. His wife, curse God and die. His closest confidant, his closest supporter and encourager, just die, curse him. What's fascinating about this is this is not the first time, even though this is chapter 2, that that phrase is there, curse God. Back in chapter 1, Satan walks into God's presence and wants to tempt Job by destroying his life so that he would, verse 11 of chapter 1, Job telling God, stretch out your hand, and uh, Satan telling God, Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And he says it again in chapter 2. In verse, see, where is it? 5. Stretch out your hand, touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And what does Job's wife say? Curse God. She speaks the words of Satan to Job. She speaks Satan's strategy out loud to her closest friend in the whole world. It doesn't tell us why. And we get to the end of the book of Job, and Job has ten more children, and it doesn't tell us that he got another wife. It's probably with the same woman. She just had a moment there where her faith left. And the leaving of her faith came in the leaving of her friendliness. It was demonstrated by how she spoke and how she treated the person next to her because her faith had left her. Sometimes when when our faith leaves, it's demonstrated in our lack of friendliness and what we end up doing is speaking the words of the enemy. Speaking the words of the enemy. Trying to usher in his strategy rather than what God would have us do. And he, he's very manipulative and he does it in all kinds of ways and facets because he's been at this for a very long time and he's a very good tempter. He knows what buttons to push to get you there. And so that's why we're given all of this, this as a warning, as watch out because he's coming. So demonstrate your faith. Choose to be faithful. Choose to be faithful in your friendliness. When the world will say, yeah, don't be friendly to that person. They're not friendly to you. Don't be friendly to so-and-so because of what they've done and how they lived and the decisions they've made. Don't be friendly to them because they took your parking spot. Don't be friendly to them because they took the last thing of chicken at Walmart and you are going crazy because you got no meat in the house and you're going to have macaroni again because they got no food and, and you're just going nuts. Demonstrate your faith. Choose to be faithful by listening to the Lord's influence. And be friendly. When in doubt, be friendly. You think Jesus would go off on somebody because of the reasons we often 
feel agitated and irritated and frustrated and angry? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. You say, oh, yeah, but, you know, Jesus flipped the tables in the, in, the, in the temple. Yeah, he did. But he's Jesus. We were talking about this in my Sunday school class a few weeks ago. Righteous indignation, right? Being angry. You know, not, sometimes it's okay, be angry. The scripture says be angry and do not sin. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I can't think of a time I've ever been sinlessly angry ever like there may be a, a tinge a percentage of righteous indignation in there but I guarantee you every single at least for me I mean I, I don't know you guys you, some of you guys are far holier than I am there's a pretty chunk of that percentage that's very selfish and prideful and offended and there's the offense is more of my response than the righteous indignation I try to say, well, it's all about this, this righteous indignation, but really it's about the other thing, and I'm not being friendly because of the other thing rather than this one. Because Jesus even turning over the tables, you think he didn't care about those money lenders? He still died for them. He still offered his life for them to be saved. Nicodemus was a member of the ruling council that Jesus knew ahead of time, that ruling council is going to vote to kill me. That doesn't mean Nicodemus did. But he still reached out to him. He went after Paul, one of his greatest opponents of all time, because he wanted him to be saved. See, the desire of Jesus' heart says it in Scripture. It says it's for all men to be saved. Every single human person, that's his desire, that's his will, that's his plan is for all of us to find salvation. Obviously, there's a bunch in the world who don't because they choose not to have faith. Faith is a choice. There's a reason that in Jesus' prayer, he prays for us to be unified as a people of God. Because how we, treat e by, how we treat each other will show the world whether we belong to him or not. Take your last seven days. Scratch it. Take your last... 24 hours has every word that came out of your mouth every look you gave with your face every instance of body language every thought that crossed your brain would you be willing to stand up hand on a bible every one of them was friendly every single one when you scrolled past a name on social media Every thought that came in your brain about that name and that post was absolutely friendly, right? Right? No hands. If you're listening to the podcast, no hands are going up in the room. These are all honest people here. There we go. I'm with you in there. I'm leading the front. Um, but what the author of Hebrews is showing us is faith is a choice. Rahab had a decision to make when she opened that door and those guys were standing there. It wasn't by coincidence that they were led to her door. The one person in the whole town who had faith in God, the one who had made poor decisions in her life, but that doesn't mean she still couldn't have faith. That doesn't mean she couldn't still be redeemed. You're never too far gone for God to get you. And so there she is opening her door, seeing these guys. The, 
was just in there praying, and here you are. Come in. This, if any door you knocked, you shouldn't have knocked on my neighbor's door. I hope you didn't knock on my neighbor's Maybe that's why they got reported. But they came. They said, come in, and I will hide you. Faith. She chose faith that day in how she treated them. She followed the Lord's influence. And not only was she delivered and her whole family delivered, she followed the Lord's influence and, and was included in the ancestral line of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Only four women are included there. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary. Tamar made poor decisions. Rahab made poor career decisions, but she had faith. She wasn't even Israelite, but she had faith. Ruth wasn't an Israelite, but she had faith. Mary was too young, but she had faith. If you're willing to follow the Lord and you have faith, he's going to use you to do phenomenal things that you never thought possible. All that God needs from us is a willing heart. A willing heart. And he'll bring everything else. Faith is a choice to follow the Lord. And the friendliness you demonstrate in your faith is in direct proportion to how much faith you have. The more faith you have, the friendlier you will be. So to choose faith, we choose friendliness. That doesn't mean everybody who's friendly is faithful. Not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not for us to determine the, the motivation of their hearts. It's simply for us to follow the Lord with our lives. So will you choose faith today? Choose it. Faith, which is what we said earlier, Faith is following the Lord's influence. Will you choose to follow the Lord's influence today? Will you choose to follow his influence wherever it is in your life? Choose to follow his influence in how you treat the people in your house, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat the people in church. Choose to follow the Lord's influence in how you treat everybody. Choose to follow the Lord's influence in how you speak and how you think and how you act and how you react. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect every time. No, we're going to mess up and, and, and slip and stumble, but then we get back up and we keep going. What is it the great theologian, Rocky Balboa, says? It's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you get hit. Get up and keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. God doesn't need you to be perfect because you can't. He just wants you to be better today than you were yesterday. Keep moving forward. Forward progress, uh, progress, forward motion. Will you choose to be faithful today? Choose it. Choose it today. Maybe you need to choose to be faithful for the very first time and say, you know what? I need to believe in Jesus. I need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he came to this earth and he died so that all my sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so that I can live after I die. If you need to have faith in that today, this is your moment to stop putting it off, start, stop doing the, the self-conversation and the self-arguing and just get out there and do it. Choose it today. Choose faith today. Stop with uh, uh, trying to put it off and say, oh, I'll do it you know, next week. Next week's Labor Day weekend. There'll be fewer people. I can do it next week. No, don't put it off. Do it now. Maybe God's going to do something else. There's going to be twice as many people in the room next week. Doesn't matter. Do it now. Believe in Jesus today. Maybe you need to choose Faith in how you've been acting and how you've been talking. 
and how you have been treating people. Maybe, maybe there's somebody you need to apologize to because of something you did yesterday. You know what? (laughs) I was not acting in faith, and I want to be faithful. I'm trying to be faithful. I know I have stumbled many, many times, but I want to follow the Lord in this. Maybe there's somebody you need to apologize to. And it's going to take every bit of willpower for you to do it. And maybe God's already, I can see it on your face, some of your faces right now. He's already put a name in your, in your mind. And maybe you need to slip out during the invitation and you need to go call them. Because they're not in the room. Maybe they're not in the room because of what you said. And you need to call them and apologize. Make it right. That doesn't mean they're going to forgive you. But you've done everything you can. What does Paul say? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control them, but you can't control you. Will you choose faith today?